a I am, and it's all about our identity. And so identity is something that a lot of us struggle with. Identity is, is something that a lot of us deal with for a long time. Even as Christians, we deal with this over and over again. And so we want to address this idea of identity, but we want to address it through the idea that who do you, God, say that I am? Who does God say that you are? Who are you in the sight of God? See, we have all of these words that are thrown at us. We have all of these things that people say about us. And what are we believing? What are we hearing? And what are we allowing to enter into our mind? What do we remember? And what do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about ourselves? Because whatever we believe about ourselves is the way we're going to live our life. And so what we need to do and what we need to understand is that God's opinion of who we are is really the only opinion that matters. Other people will come and say things, good things, bad things. You see all these different things that are said about us up here. And how many of you know that sometimes positive things can be just as harmful as negative things? You're so strong. And so then we go out and we start lifting things that we shouldn't lift. And the next thing you know, we've got a hernia or a pulled muscle. Today, I want to talk about today's, today's message is entitled, Who Told You That? Who told you that? And so this is directly from Scripture. This, this line is directly from Scripture. We're going to see that. But we want to ask the question, who told you that you are that way? So many times people say stuff, they may say it in jest, they may say it uh, because they're, they themselves are hurt, and they unwillingly hurt others. They may say it just because they think it's funny and not care about your emotions. They may say it intentionally hurtfully. That happens. How many of us, how many of us know that the reason you have siblings is because they know how to push your buttons just right. I've got three siblings. How many, of you, how many of us know, husbands and wife, how many of us know that after a little while, our husband or our wife knows how to push our buttons too? And so, so many times, things that are said about us become self, self-fulfilling prophecies. You're stupid. And so then, you know, where we used to get 80s, we get it, we, we, where we used to get 90s, we get an 80, and somebody says, you're stupid, you're not smart, you'll never be good at this thing, math, science, whatever it is. So then, when we get an, an 80 the next time, we just relegate to the words that were said over us, well, I'll never be good at that subject. And so then I stop studying, I stop applying myself, I stop doing everything that I did that I was originally getting the 90s, and now instead of getting 80s, I start getting 70s, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because I believe what someone said. You're ugly. You're useless. The list goes on and on and on. You're hot-tempered. You're a a Taurus Italian redhead. Therefore, you must be hot-tempered. You're a this, that, this. Listen, just forget it all. What did God say? Who does God say you are? We need to ask, when these words come, we need to ask, who told you that? Who told us that? Who is it that's speaking this over our life? 
And we need to evaluate. If God didn't say it, it's very, much, very, it's very likely that what's being said is untrue. And so we have to know what is God saying about us and what is it that we're believing. Today I want to talk about we need to identify those things that have been spoken over our life that we believed and their lies. Who told you that? So I want to start by reading Genesis, Genesis 3. We're going to read 1 through 11. So I'm just going to, I didn't, I didn't put it all in my notes. I'll just start reading uh, out of my text. And then once we get to a certain point, we'll just jump in. Genesis chapter 3. So this is the account in the garden, the temptation in the fall of man. It says in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is the first thing that I want to point out here in in this portion of text. The enemy comes and says, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. God said, let us Make man in our image and in our likeness. God made us, here we go, watch this. God made us like him. And so the enemy comes and he lies to us and tell us that we can be a way that we already are. The enemy comes to lie to us many times to call into question the last thing that God said about us. Watch this. Jesus comes to the Jordan River. He's baptized, right? Heaven split open. And the voice speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes into the desert, 40 days fasting and prayer, seeking God, strengthening himself, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Satan comes to tempt him. And what's the first thing that he says? Wait a minute. What was the last thing that God said? This is my beloved son. What does Satan say? If you're truly the son of God, Satan is immediately calling into question the very last thing that God said. What's the last thing that God said about your life? Has the enemy come and tried to steal that away from you? Has the enemy come and tried to lie to you about who you are? Who told you? Who told you? What did God say about you? What's the enemy trying to say to you? What voice are you going to believe? So when this woman saw, verse 5, verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree that was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate it. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the, eyes, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves, and they covered themselves. And they heard the sound of the, of the Lord God 
walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I think this is the saddest verse in the entire Bible. I'm, I'm literally nearly brought to tears every single time I read it. Here's Adam. Here's Eve. They're walking in the garden daily with God. Sign me up. Guys, all, we, all of us, all we really want is to go back to the garden. It's, we want to return to the garden. We want to go back to this place of an intimate, intense fellowship with God. We want what Adam had. Come on. <laughs> I love taking walks with my wife. I love taking walks with my kids. I love taking walks through the woods with anybody. Hike up the mountains. This is great. Sign me up. Let's go. I love it. Why? Because there's a fellowship that happens there. We talk about things. There's a communication. How many of us really, all we want to do is just be close to somebody and, have, uh, and share our heart with them and have them share their heart with us? This is really what we want out of life. Adam had that with God, with God, with the uncreated sovereign of the universe, with God himself. You know, I think about these things. I don't know, you know, it says that Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And uh, it says, God said to Moses, Moses said, Moses said to God, hang on. Moses said to God, he said, uh, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, I can't show you my glory because no man shall see the face of God and live. Now, uh, uh, what's his name? John Bevere trivializes this a little bit. He says, how did God know that? Well, he tried it once with Enoch. I don't believe that this is actually how it went down, but imagine if you will, right? God and Enoch are walking along, and God's like, hey, Enoch, I want to show you my glory, and he reveals his glory, and Enoch's just like, vaporized. He's like, ah, that didn't work. And then, you know, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, here comes Moses, and Moses comes to the point where he's walking with God, and, God, and Moses is like, God, I want to see your glory. And, Mo- and God's like, well, I tried it once, and it didn't go so well. So let me rethink this here, Moses. Obviously, God knows what he's doing, but that's kind of fun. Adam, come on. Adam and Eve beheld the face of God. I believe that they looked full into his glory. I believe that they did. I don't understand why they were able to. Was it because there wasn't sin? I don't think that that was exactly it. I think it was because of their location within the garden. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't put it all together. There's things that we have to just understand by faith. But here comes God. And Adam and Eve run. And they hide. God wants relationship. God wants to just come and walk with us, be with us. And we run and hide. We're running from him. It's the absolute saddest part of the entire Bible, and it repeats itself. We're doing the same things today. We hide. We hide from God. All right. That's a great scripture. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. God knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly what he had done. He wasn't asking Adam where he was because God didn't know. God knew where he was. He knew which bush he was behind. 
And if he wanted to, he could have vaporized the bush in front of him or levitated Adam up over the bush and brought him. Come on, all-knowing, all-powerful, uncreated being sovereign of the universe could do all these things. And he asks the question, where are you? He didn't ask the question because God needed information. He asked the question because he wanted something revealed to Adam of what was in Adam's own heart. God asks us questions because he's looking to reveal our own heart to us. The Bible tells us who can know the heart of a man? It is deceitfully wicked. God knows the heart of a man. And God not only knows our heart, he knows how he can reveal his heart. He knows how he can reveal his own heart back to us. It's fantastic. And so he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Right? So before they knew that they were naked, but now he's afraid because he's naked. We've got to understand where this is going. First, they were naked. And so then they, they fashioned clothes for themselves. They figured out that they were naked. And it wasn't just, a, it wasn't just a, a physical nakedness. They were also spiritually naked. Why would they hide if, if they were naked if they had already clothed themselves with fig leaves or, or leaves from the bushes? Why? Because they were still spiritually naked. There was a spiritual, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, the Bible tells us, right? If we're clothed with his righteousness, if we're clothed with his humility, if we don't have it, then we're going to be spiritually naked. And so why are Adam and Eve hiding even though they're clothed with leaves? Because they're still spiritually naked. And so they're hiding. I was afraid Knowledge comes. He knew that he had done something wrong. He says, I hid. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God says, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that? Adam, who told you that? I wonder, I wonder how long... See, it doesn't really tell us how long had God been coming every day to walk in the midst of the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. How long had they been doing this? God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He tells them to tend it, right? You got to work. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And they walk. And I wonder, was it one day? Was it two days? Was it 10 days? Was it a year? We don't know exactly how long that was that... God came and walked every day in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. But one day, God shows up and Adam's hiding. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? I can never be whatever. I could never be of any value. I could never be a pastor. I could never be a millionaire. I could never be loved by anyone. I could never be fill in the blank because we all have something that we believe that we could never be. Who told you that you could never be that? Who told you that? Did God tell you that you could never be that? That's, that doesn't sound like what God would say. Who told you that? What is it that we believe about ourselves? I'm fat. I'm weak. Nobody likes me. I'm too good for all of these people. 
there's a positive that gets pushed out of hand. I'm no good. Who told you that? Who told you that you were weak? Who told you that you were fat? Who told you that you were ugly? Who told you that you were skinny? Who told you that you were... When our kids were little, uh, one, of, one of the kids said to another one of them, I can't remember, and it's probably good that I don't. And so one of the kids said to another one of the kids, you're skinny. And so the child who was told that they were skinny was offended and upset and came crying to us that they had called them a name. And so when they said that they were skinny and the child took offense to it, I, I think it was my wife, she's a superior knowledge to me, and especially in situations like this, and she says, well, I don't want to react and say, well, no, being skinny is a good thing because then immediately being fat's a bad thing. What wisdom. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so she yelled at the child who said, you're skinny, and said, don't say bad things about your sibling. Because why is one good and one bad just because culture says so? Who told you that? Who told you that? Everyone in my family always gets divorced three times. Everyone in my family always gets pregnant out of wedlock. Everyone in my family has a drinking problem. Everyone in my family lives on welfare. Every, my whole family is this way. My whole family is loud. My whole family is obnoxious. My whole family is. That doesn't mean you have to be that way. Who told you you had to be that way? Your DNA doesn't need to tell you that you need to be that way. I'm a child of God. My DNA has been redeemed. My family line has been redeemed. I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who told you that? Who told you that? Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says this. It says, I say to you that for every idle met word men speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is pretty intense about the idle words here. He's saying that you will be judged for every idle word. <laughs> Proverbs says, where words are many, sin is not lacking. You'll be judged for every idle word. What is an idle word? An idle word is a word spoken without faith. How many times do we speak words without faith? Somebody comes and they've got some great idea. You know, whatever it is, they wanna, they're going to make a million dollars doing this or they're going to go to college this and that and whatever. And someone says... You can never do that. That's a word spoken. That's an idle word. That's a word spoken without faith. That's a word spoken without faith. And we're all guilty of it. We all speak idle words. Some of us are better than others. Some of us are worse than others. And whatever that means, at speaking or not speaking the idle word, some of us just know better how to hold our tongue. Even a fool is perceived to be wise when he holds his tongue. For years, I just held my tongue. People thought I was really smart. <laughs> it's good stuff. 
you'll never see Troy saved. That's a, that is a lie from the pit of hell, and that is an idle word. That is a word spoken without faith. Listen, just because you don't have the same faith I have, you know what I have to say to that? The Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> we taught our kids to say this. We actually taught our kids to say this. What can we do when somebody speaks an idle word? What can we do when negative words come? Because just because I'm preaching a message to you today doesn't mean that bad words aren't going to come, that somebody's not going to say something negative to you as soon as you walk out the door. And so what can we do? Step one is that we don't receive what they say. And so we taught our kids when they were little that when somebody speaks something negative into your life, you say, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Is it biblical? Absolutely. 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 Look at this. Luke 17. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. <laughs> there it is. Plain text. Can't get any simpler than that, guys. <laughs> and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. As many times as he comes. He keeps sinning, and you keep rebuking him, and he keeps coming back and repenting. You just keep forgiving. And so there's all different, you know, we're, so we get, I want to be very careful because I'm giving you ammunition here against your brothers and sisters in Christ as well as the unsafe. So now that you have some ammunition, you have to be careful about how you use this terminology, right? I could see you guys outside afterwards as we're, as we're fellowshipping out here in the parking lot like we do for a little bit, and you're like, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord, and you guys are all just going off, right? <laughs> bam, bam, bam. <laughs> well, listen, sometimes we just need to understand the situation, and we need to use it accordingly. Sometimes we just, it depends on who we're with. It depends on the attitude with which they're coming, right? It's all, it's all like, and so sometimes we just say it underneath our breath, or to ourselves. Someone says something negative, Say it to yourselves, no, no audible words out loud. And you just, you'll get the hang of this, right? So just start with just saying it to yourself until you figure out when you should actually say it out loud, right? And then there's some times where you want to say it very quietly and respectfully, right? So I'm talking to another pastor, let's say. This is completely hypothetical. And I'm telling them, yeah, so God's given me a vision to save the city of Troy, and so there's 55,000 people in the city of Troy. And so they don't all have to go to my church. So I want to fill all the churches, right? And we want to, and so come on, will you work with me in this? And he says, brother, I don't believe Troy can be saved. Now, actually, in that, in that sense, I probably would say something out loud because he's a pastor and he can read the word for himself. I'll tell him, listen, Luke 17, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. But I'm quiet. I'm not direct. I mean, I'm not being like, you know, I'm not going to jump up from my seat and be, the Lord rebuke you. For what? What's that going to do? No, listen, brother, the Lord rebuke you. That's not God. Jesus did this to Peter. <laughs> he says, Jesus says, who do, who do men say that I am? And they answer. And then they say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up, pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus turns around and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. Blessed are you, right? And so then in the next breath, Jesus is saying, like, listen, in three days, I've got to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'll be raised again. And, Jesus, and Peter pipes up again. Peter's got this boldness, guys. Peter pipes up again. He's like, far be it, Lord. That's not, that's not right. That's not going to happen. That'll never happen. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Okay, guys, hold up. Don't, don't go saying that to your brothers and sisters, right? Let's, let's, let's dial it back, okay? And let's stick with the Lord rebuke. It's a lot nicer, right? We want to be kind, we just talked about kindness. We're going, to stick, we're going to stick to the kindness thing. But when somebody tells you something, and you're like, who told you that? This isn't God. This is an idle word. Listen, the Lord rebuke you. Sometimes it's just very polite. Sometimes, sometimes, you, sometimes you may need to say it a little bit with, with a little bit more authority. You know, you got to determine the situation that you're in. You're in a situation, and things are kind of already loud, and somebody's saying something. Listen, don't be, able to, don't be afraid to throw it out there, but, you know, use it accordingly, right? You guys, you guys want to be on that? So I want to tell you a story about this. Years ago, when the kids were little, uh, they had a great-grandmother who used to take them out to um, lunch weekly. And so, you know, they'd talk about stuff, and not what she's since gone on to be with the Lord. But um, So one day they took them out, and my one daughter said to... Uh, the, their great-grandmother at the time, um, when I'm older, I want to have a baby blue convertible punch bug. And so the, the, the great-grandmother turns around and said, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> and was it under the breath or was it out loud? Either under the breath or very quietly out loud. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> My daughter is rebuking her great-grandmother. Perfect. We taught her to do this. Way to go. <laughs> two thumbs up, two thumbs way up. And so, sure enough, when, it, when she turned 16 and it was old enough, it was, it was time for her to get a car. What did she find? She found a baby blue convertible punch bug. And she owned that car. In your face. No, 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 there's no in your face. Stop, continue to be kind. So I want to share, I want to I honor uh, Ruby. You guys know, some of you know Ruby, it was Ruby. And so some of you know her. I want to honor her because she redeemed herself in later years. This was actually like probably six months before she, she passed and went home to be with God. Uh, Ariana was moving on from the punch bug and she was buying a different car and she found the car that she was looking for. and It was a good deal and uh, the deal fell through. And uh, we were having Ruby over once a week because she was in the nursing home and she didn't like to be there. And so, you know, we'd take her out on Sundays and have her over for dinner. And um, so she was very, you know, she was keeping up with the whole thing going on. And so when the deal fell through, she said, that's okay. God's got something better for you. And we were like, come on, come on. The dream killer's been redeemed. <laughs> I have this dream that I'm going to own a baby blue convertible punch bug. That'll never happen. 
dream killer. The dream killer has been redeemed. You know what? God's got something better for you. And honestly, sure enough, he did. It was maybe, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks or a month later. Maybe it was a week later. I don't remember the exact timing. But she found another car. It was the same car, but it, had, it was the next level up. It was, a, it, was, it was more bells and whistles and features. And the price wasn't, wasn't much more at all. It was almost like the same price for you know, a whole bunch more car. God did have something better. Less miles. Come on. Glory to God. Glory to God. John 13 says this. This is where uh, Jesus says, one of you, to his disciples, he says, one of you will betray me. And it says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, to ask him who it was that he spoke of. John wrote his gospel about 40 to 50 years after Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Mark Mark is the first one out of the box. Mark is the first one to pen what happened, what went down with Jesus. Mark wrote his gospel probably about 15 years after Jesus passed away, after Jesus died and rose again. Mark writes his, his, his letter, his gospel, about 15 years later. Matthew and Luke jump on, and within two years, they write their own account. Mark wrote Peter's account. Luke wrote from I'm not sure who, and Matthew wrote his own account because Matthew was actually there. Mark, Mark and, and Luke were not sure that they actually even walked with Jesus, Mark wrote Peter's account. Peter told Mark what happened, and Mark wrote it down. So we have Mark, Luke, and and Matthew. And then it would be another 30 years before John, who's very old at this time, right? If he was 20, plus 15, plus 30, talking like, somebody do the math for me, 65? He's not very old. He's just older. They say between... You're welcome. They say between 65 and 75, between 30 and 40 years. And so he wrote it much later. And so if you read through the gospel of John, many times it's referred to as the love gospel, right? Why? Because the most important thing that we can know is that God loves us. John here, John is writing this. (laughs) Follow me, guys. John is writing this, and John, who's speaking of himself in this verse, is saying that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's four or five times throughout the, his gospel that he refers to himself in this context. Hi, guys. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Hi. Hey, guys. Good to be with you today. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. He loves me. He loves all of you, too just the way you are. There's no qualifications to be loved by God. None. Zero. There's nothing you have to do to be loved by God. Nothing that you can do will ever cause you to love God any more than you are already loved by Him. Nothing that you could do will ever cause you to be loved any less than you are already loved by God. 
God's love is infinite, and he loves you infinitely. God's love is eternal, and he loves you eternally. God loves you. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about you from day one till you breathe your last breath. He knows it, and he loves you. God loves you. Listen, church, this is the most important thing that we can know. This is the most important thing that we can know about ourselves. You want to talk about identity for a minute? Let's talk about identity for a minute. I'm going to tell you the most important thing that you could ever know about yourself. God loves you. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to tell you the most important thing that you can ever know about yourself is that God loves you. So much so that John, once he figured things out, how many of you know that once we're, when we're young, you know, young and dumb, right? It's when we're young, we make mistakes. When we're old, we've kind of figured things out. And he says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. He loves me, guys. He loves me. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. I'm the disciple that God loves. That the uncreated, sovereign, all-powerful, infinite, transcendent, all-knowing one loves me. The God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and hung them in place and named them, that guy loves me. The guy who, the, the, the one who causes the sun to rise and set the one who causes the, the deer to give birth, Psalms tells us. The one who causes everything, who holds everything to get to, together by his power. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. We can't earn, our, we can't earn God's love. It's free. He died on a cross for you and me before we were even born. The Bible tells us that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, every single person in this room has sinned one way or another. Everyone, all of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all guilty at the foot of the cross. But while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our sin, Jesus Christ died for us. He went to the cross. He took our sin upon his body, and he paid the price. He fulfilled the righteous judgment of God by taking our sin in his body. And so the penalty for our sin, he paid for. The Bible tells us that sin leads to everlasting death. It leads to hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And so because of sin, we have to go to hell. But Jesus paid that for us. And because he paid the price, we get to go to heaven. Because Jesus, because Jesus did it for us. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. He didn't do it because we were good or because we were deserving or anything else. He did it because it's who he is. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. You will go to heaven. And so if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior for the first time, I want to invite you to do that today. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come and teach you how to live your life, I want to invite you to make that, make that decision today.
It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. All God wants, all God wants is to walk with you in the cool of the garden. All he wants is to walk together, to be in re- right relationship, to be in fellowship. It's his, it's his desire. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross, that we could live together with him. If you want to make that decision today and you want to follow God for the first time, I'm going to ask you to check the back of your engaged card. It says, today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. If you check that box, I'm going to mail you some information about what it means to follow Jesus Christ for the first time. If you're watching online and you're making this decision today with us, send me an email at info at redeeminglovechurch.org and I'll send you the same information. Send me back. Send, when you send that email, just send me your address and say, I've decided to follow Christ. I'll send you that same information. Basically, it's going to explain the decision that you made and give you some first steps, some next steps as to what you do now that you've made this decision to follow Christ. I want to end with this scripture today. 1 John 3, we talked about how much later John wrote his gospel as to any of the others. And so different people estimate that 1 John was actually written even later, as late as uh, 90 AD, which would have been 60 years after Jesus passed. John at this point is 80 years old or older because 90 was the earliest that they said that he would have been, he would have written this. He says this, John, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Listen. Listen, guys. This is good news on top of good news. We don't just get to go to heaven. We're not just Christians. We're not just going to be like God. Although we are all of that. But there's actually so much more. We're children of God. We're children of God. <laughs> Guys, you got to understand this. Like, what does it mean to be a child of someone? It means that you, are, you get an inheritance, right? Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs. Guys, we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. I think we need to go back and talk about the authority of the believer again. Guys, we are, author- we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand what this means? In every king, in every kingdom, there's a king. And the king passes his kingdom to an heir, right? Right? And so Jesus was the first among many that were born. And we are born again also with him, and we've become brothers, and even more so, we've become children of God, co-heirs with Christ. The kingdom that Jesus came and brought in his life, we now get to rule over. It's ours. We, I, listen, I'm all about going to heaven. Love it. We don't just get heaven. We get the reality of God's kingdom right here, right now. Step into it, guys. You're a child of God. Start acting like it. (laughs) 
Hey, listen, you're a medic. Start acting like it. <laughs> listen, you're a child of God. Start acting like it. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. You're a child of God. Start acting like it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, no. We get to partake of the riches of his kingdom, the glory of his kingdom right here, right now. <sighs> All right, next week. Okay, I got to stop. We're good. Okay, guys, next couple weeks, we're going to talk about more about what it looks like when we believe, uh, when we believe what God said about us rather than to choose to believe the lie. We're going to talk about more about what it looks like when we believe the lie and what our life looks like. And we're going to talk more about what it looks like uh, when healing comes. And I also want to talk about, I want to spend a whole Sunday talking about who God says that I am. I want to spend a whole Sunday proclaiming the promises of God over your life and mine. I want to spend a whole Sunday talking to you nothing but about what God thinks about you. Do you know that you are the apple of God's eye? Do you know that you are his beloved one? Ho, we're going to go. We're going to go. Who do you, God, say that I am? This is what we need to know. The most important thing, we covered that, that I'm loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Listen, if this week, the only thing that you can remember to tell yourself throughout the week is I am loved by God, it'll be worth the whole, your whole ticket purchase price to get in here today. No purchase price, obviously. It's a joke. I am loved by God. 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 God loves me. Listen. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, what, what lies have we believed that others have said about us? What lies have we believed? What do you believe about yourself? Let me ask you this question. What do you believe about yourself? Yeah. Write that down. Identify that this week. You guys are journalers. You write stuff down. Spend, spend some time in prayer. And when you spend time in prayer this week, ask yourself what you believe about yourself. Because this can be very revealing. What do I believe about myself? I'm, actually go, I'm, out, I'm obviously going after some, some of the negative things here. But do two columns. Do a positive and do a negative. What do I believe about myself? Or just do a list and then go through and mark off positive, negative, positive, negative, put a P and an N next to them all. How many negatives do you come up with? How many positives do you come up with? And then do this, right? So write the list, left column, positive, negative, right column. Who told me that? What do I believe about myself? I believe I'm fat. Who told me that I was fat? My Aunt Bessie, when I was four, she told me I was fat, and I believed it to this day. Stupid. My Uncle Gary told me I was fat when I was six. I don't have an Uncle Gary. Told me I was stupid when I was six, and I believed it to this day. Who told you that? We identify, guys, we identify the hurts and the things that we misbelieve, and we bring them to Christ and God can heal them. Amen. If we don't identify what we believe that's wrong, 
we may never get our healing. We may, we may never be healed. God wants, God wants for you to be perfect. God wants for you to be whole. God wants for you to be victorious in all things, in all things. Father, in Jesus' name, pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we pray today, God, that you would heal us of the wounds of the things that have been spoken over us. And God, we pray moving forward that people's words that they speak over us will have no effect. And God, that we would understand that we are loved by you and that what you have to say about us is the most important thing for us to hear. God, I pray that this week as we spend time with you, as we spend time in your word, God, that you will reveal to our hearts, reveal to our minds the things that we think about ourselves in our hearts the unspoken things that we believe about ourselves that bring destruction in our lives, that cause bad habits, destructive habits. And God, I pray right now that you would even begin to heal those things. Heal those things in me. God, we look to you. God, you are the great healer. You are the great provider. And God, we know that you can do all things. We give you glory and honor and praise. Amen.